Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in Saskatchewan. Today, we're chatting with Ashley Nemeth. We'll share her story of losing her vision and navigating life as a blind woman. I guarantee you'll learn a lot in this episode, so let's get started. All right, thanks for joining us for another episode of the What Connects Us podcast. My name's Mason Gardner. It's so great to have you here. Today, I'm chatting with the incredibly hilarious and always insightful Ashley Nemeth. I cannot wait for you to hear this one. I am so excited about this conversation. I'll tell you why. For years, Ashley grew up navigating a vision impairment, and then an undiagnosed issue ended up taking away all of her vision in just a three-week span. Ashley is joining us today to tell us all about what that unimaginable experience was like for her, how she's navigated life as a blind woman, the impact it's had on her, her career, her family, and will debunk some misconceptions along the way as well. As you can imagine, Ashley has dealt with some pretty ignorant assumptions and questions about her blindness. In this interview, Ashley will answer a ton of questions that I'm sure you've even wondered about yourself, and she does it in a way that will leave you as informed as you are entertained. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. What I love about Ashley is that although she has been through so much, she doesn't take herself too seriously. I personally learned so much through our chat because her quick wit, her sense of humor, and her ability to explain herself in a way where the takeaways just seem so obvious, it made this interview one of my favorites to date. I promise that you'll learn so much about all of the learnings that she has for you, and they're so incredibly transferable. So let's waste no more time and begin the interview. What connects us to Ashley? Let's find out. Ashley Nemeth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. It's so great to have you here. So when you came in this morning... You were accompanied by your guide dog, whose name is Danson, and you could tell that anyone who saw him was fighting back that urge to come pet him. Obviously, you shouldn't pet a guide dog when they are on duty, but set the record straight. When is it okay to pet a guide dog? Um, so I think the biggest thing is like never, never. <laughs> <laughs> so ideally, never. Yeah. Um, he is off duty, like at home. So if I'm not out and about, he's off duty at home, and he's just like a pet dog my kids can play with him and right. he can like run and play like a dog yeah but if he's in harness and i'm outside of my house he's he's on duty exactly um so you know people are always curious and they want to ask so i just say like if you absolutely must just ask <laughs> you absolutely must oh i love that it's like some people can control it um i i've read you too like you you had a quote you said like you would never like pet my my walking stick like why would you pet my dog like it makes so much sense it does, yeah. I was like trying to figure out a way to like explain it to people, and finally, I just like came to this like realization. I was like, when I have a white cane, like people ignore me, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so when I'm standing in the corner, like you would never like reach down and be like, oh, it's such a cute cane. Yeah. Like, why would you do it <laughs> to so my true. dog? <laughs> It's so true. And like Danson has like a purpose and it's cool. Like you, you look at him and he is like in the mode. Like he is, he's like, I, I am doing my job right now. I'm not, I don't want treats. I don't want to do anything like that. So when he's off duty and he's at home, he's like a typical dog. Like he's like running around, he's playing. Oh yeah. The harness is very much like a switch for him. So it's like you have two dogs in one. Like there's the dog in harness who's very professional and like focused and then like you take the harness off and you have this five-year-old lab who will like eat whatever he can find on the floor and <laughs> like tear up your house and, like chase a ball so like yeah the harness is very much like a switch for him and it's yeah. 
it's really quite funny to to see. It's kind of like all of us, right? Like all the harness, like at the eight to five job, like I'm professional and doing my thing, but then happy hour comes along. I'm having a couple margaritas and maybe letting loose a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah he's definitely, definitely has that personality. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. So let's, let's jump in. We're going to talk all about dancing, your guide dog, all that sort of stuff. It's so interesting, but let's just jump in with a quick introduction. Tell me who is Ashley Nemeth? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Yeah, so I always like struggle with this question, like who is Ashley Nemeth? I'm like, I don't know, I'm not really that that interesting. So deep. But yeah. um, so I, for the most part, like I'm a I'm a really vocal advocate in Saskatchewan around, um, you know, for individuals who are blind or partially sighted, yeah. but also the disability community as a whole and the service dog community as a whole. Um, my biggest passion is really dispelling the myths that exist around disability and and the abilities of of individuals who live with disability right so um you know i'm passionate about my work but i also love to like snowboard and golf and go camping with my kids and my husband and uh, i am a parent and of of, you know three teenagers and uh get myself to and from and work and all of that and love to travel so like there's you know there's so much to to my life um outside of disability, but it's also a huge part of my life. Totally. I grew up in Regina, right? So I grew up in Indian Head, Saskatchewan. Oh, so you did, right. Yeah, right. so 45 minutes east of Regina, but we moved into Regina about four years ago. Yeah, awesome. Love Indian Head. It's I'm from Lemberg, which is about 30 minutes away from Indian Head. We'd yeah. always come in for the Indian Head Bakery. Cinem- my parents actually owned the Indian Head Bakery. Stop! Are you serious? For 28 years. Yeah. Oh my gosh! The cinnamon buns? So good, Ashley, right? so good. So good. Like the best on the planet. Honestly, yeah. I would fight anybody. when That is like a hotly contested like battle I'll have with people. I'll be like, oh, green spot cinnamon buns are the best. And I'm I like, know. Indian Head Bakery, give them a chance. I've been looking for this best cinnamon bun in Regina and everybody sends me to all these places. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, no, it's not the same. Yeah, It's kind of <laughs> like if you grow up in a small town and you have Chinese food restaurant there, like yeah. that is the BL and all of Chinese food. People are like, you have it to is. try this. You have to try this. No, it does not compare to no. your original. No, it doesn't. Oh, that's awesome. I feel like I'm in a, like in the midst of a celebrity. Now that I know that your parents um, owned Indian Head Bakery. What was life growing up for you and how did that play into your story? Yeah, so actually the Indian Head Bakery is a huge part of of my story, which is that my mom and dad uh, ran like the small business, but family business. So um, my parents never treated me like I like I was any different, like I had a disability. So I have a twin brother who is fully sighted. He had he actually has 2020 vision. Oh, that's annoying. So I always joke. I'm like, like we could have at least like split the difference, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like 50, 50. Right. Um, but I worked at the bakery. I did everything from, you know, making, making bread and using all the machines, taking things in and out of the, you know, a huge industrial oven. And my parents, you know, encouraged it and never you know, let me use my disability as like an excuse. It was right. always like, well, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to figure it out? Totally. Um, so that really, you know, is where I develop my, like my drive and my work ethic mm-hmm. and, and just like that problem solving. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I, yeah, I lived life like a normal kid. Um, I, you know, played hockey, I played baseball. I, I did all of the things that my twin brother was doing and 
wasn't always successful, um, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, my parents never said no. Like they let me try. Right. Um, you know, on the other side of that was, you know, high school, elementary school, school in general yeah. was really difficult for me. I was right. the only, uh, you know, blind individual in a, in a small town. And with that came a lot of, a lot of bullying and a lot of, um, you know, struggles like that. Oh. And so high school and my school years weren't, weren't a good, a good time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming out of that, there was a lot to work, to work through. And it took many years to kind of work through that. And, yeah. you know, it was a time where I wasn't proud of being someone with a disability. Like I wanted to hide it. I wanted to fit into the sighted world and right. tried my best to, to do so. Yeah. No, that's so sad. It makes sense too that growing up and your family has like normalized this in such a great way of, of like, this is how are we going to figure it out? Like we're not making excuses for you. And then you're going out into like high school where you're seen as different. That's that's pretty heartbreaking. So you you mentioned that you lost your sight at an early age. When did that kind of sink in? So I was born legally blind. So I was born with vision that wasn't great. Like I could I could see like large print and color and I could see that there was people there, but I couldn't see like fine detail. I couldn't read like regular sized print yep. right from birth. Um, you know, I struggled to like when I first started riding a bike, I ran into many a power pole and parked okay. cars, and, sure. you know, all sorts of, all sorts of things. Yeah. But my parents never really out and said anything about my vision being different until I was in, uh, school. Um, and in about grade four is when it really started to affect, you know, my ability to participate in the classroom in the same way. Okay. Um, and so that's when we, you know, had the conversation about me needing, you know, large print and sitting, you know, at a certain spot in the classroom and all of that. Mm-hmm. And my vision was pretty stable until uh, high school. And then I lost more vision um, in high school. And so, you know, started using a white cane, started using Braille. Um, I used a screen reading software on my computer pretty much all through high school. Yeah. Um, and then into my 20s, I very suddenly over about three weeks mm-hmm. um, went from somebody who was partially sighted to somebody who was completely blind mm. um, within three weeks just due to an undiagnosed secondary eye condition. Oh. Um, and so it was a, a hard and fast transition for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it really never became an issue for me until my twin brother was getting his driver's license. And I think that was like the aha moment for me yeah. because I was like, I remember he signed up for driver's ed and like, I remember like being in the car with my mom and being like, Oh, well like I have to get the forms for driver's ed. And she was like, uh, you can't get your driver's license. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I don't think I ever made the connection that, Hey, I have a white cane. Like I won't be able to drive until like all of a sudden when I was like, said it out loud, we had that conversation. I was like, Oh, like this is really going to affect like my life as a whole. Like, I don't think I ever really realized it until that moment yeah so that was a huge like turning point for me and it makes sense because like you said your parents have normalized everything right you didn't feel like there's anything that I couldn't do Mm -hmm. so tell me what what is ocular cutaneous albinism so ocular cutaneous albinism is just really a lack of pigment in your hair skin and eyes okay so a lot of people will often refer to it as the term is like you're an albino which is actually quite a derogatory term um i don't love it (laughs) so it's not my preference but um so generally with albinism people picture somebody who has white skin white hair um and red eyes um however their eyes aren't actually you know red it's just 
because of the light that's passing through. Yeah. Um, so with my form of albinism, I have a little bit of pigment in my skin and hair. Yeah. Um, but I don't have any pigment really in the back of my eye. Um, so individuals with albinism are, are born visually impaired or partially sighted. What did that feel like? Like I can certainly empathize, but I don't want to make any assumptions. What was it like to kind of gradually lose your sight? We've seen a lot of doctors over the years. I've seen many uh, eye specialists across the province. And because I had a secondary eye condition going on, there was a lot of things that didn't make any sense when we just look at albinism and and how that should affect my vision. And typically with albinism, your vision doesn't change a whole lot. It doesn't get worse. So, um, you know, it was hard to find people who like, understood it and got it and were like yeah I get it mm-hmm. um we had a lot of people say that I was like faking it to my parents like oh, oh she's attention seeking and things like that and my mom's like well like maybe but like she's running into things a lot <laughs> 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 so you know like I used to get really frustrated and be like why would I fake this like I just don't understand <laughs> like like as if you wouldn't want to pick something else like yeah. instead of running into things I right? know yeah like even now today, people will often say, well, like, you're not blind. Like, you looked right at me. And I'm like, well, believe me. Like, there's not a lot of perks. Stop. You know? Yeah. Like, there just isn't the perks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I lost all of my vision, it was an interesting time. I, I There was a definitely a short period where I threw a pity party. Yeah. Um, But it also was, you know, something that, like, kick-started kind of the journey that I'm on now. Yeah. In the fact that, like... I had no choice now. I couldn't try to hide my vision loss and I couldn't try to fit into the sighted world because it was gone. Right. And so it really took away that like frustration and like the worry of like, did I pass as sighted? Do they know? Oh yeah. You know, like there was no faking it anymore. Uh, So I just had to kind of accept it and move on. So it was actually kind of almost like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. Right. I love that perspective where it's like you felt almost a little bit more empowered to now like fully embrace your blindness mm-hmm. and to, to fit into your own world. Yep. So what was the secondary condition that impacted things? Um, so I have a condition called ankylosing spondylitis, which is... Sorry, say that, say that again. Ankylosing spondylitis. Sure, say that five times fast. Yeah, yeah. so short, we call it AS. Okay. Um, and it affects all of my joints. It's, you know, kind of like arthritis on crack. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it affects all of my joints, but it also affects um, my eyes in the fact that I now have arthritis in my eyes. So I have uveitis okay. and iritis. Sure. And because it went undiagnosed for so long, um, just like the damage from that inflammation is what created kind of the perfect storm for me to lose all of my vision. Sure. So what did life look like for you prior to losing all your vision? I was married. Um, I, we just got, I got married when I was 20. So very young, yeah. um, you know, as today's standards. Sure. <laughs> I married when I was 20. Um, we had three kids at the time, three young kids. I had okay. three under five at the time. When you were 20. Well, I, in my early 20s, like 23, oh, okay. 24. And I sure. didn't have three kids by the time I was 20. I was like, um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, really moving quick. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, so like 20 to 25. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was working in insurance at the time okay. uh, here in Regina. And so, um, unfortunately, there was just like not a lot of understanding around how that was going to work and mm. not a lot of like willingness to accommodate. So right. I lost my job. Okay. Um, at that time and 
that definitely lit a fire. I was so angry. That that experience alone is like really what lit the fire underneath me to like, because I had just lost all of my vision. Then they were like, no, you can't, you know, continue on your job. And then I was like, well, it's fine. I'll just get another job. But then I just kept hitting barrier after barrier because people just wouldn't have a conversation with me about like how I could be employed and like yeah. just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock of people when I was trying to be employed. And I was just like, okay, I've had enough. Totally. Um, and so I started my blog and I started um, volunteering with the CNIB and like just talking about it nonstop. Like anybody who would listen, I was like, no, you don't understand the discrimination that is happening and the anger that I have got built up for you. Yeah. Uh, so it really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really lit the fire. How does that conversation happen where like someone says, okay, Ashley, welcome back to work. Um, since you can no longer see, you can no longer work is like how does that happen yeah I got a letter that said um basically like in layman's terms uh if you if your condition improves uh, and you get your sight back uh, we'd welcome you back (laughs) what and I was like uh no yeah so like the conversation should have been you know like let's work with CNIB and let's look look at technology and how do we you know keep you employed because I clearly I'm employed now. Yeah. Um, I can be employed. There's no reason why I can't be employed. And, you know, some of that is on me as well because I didn't tell my employer. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't tell my employer that I was partially sighted. And so I got away with it by enlarging things on the screen of the computer and sitting really close and hiding a magnifier in my desk. And, you know, I, because I knew that if I said that I had vision issues, I was partially sighted people didn't hire, wouldn't hire me. I couldn't get an interview. So I stopped telling people. And so then when I lost all of my vision, they were like, wait, hold up, what? Um, But then all they could see is the disability, right? Oh my gosh. So how long had you worked there prior to? Uh, About a year. About a year. And they had no idea. Mm -mm. Oh, so they saw like as if you lost literally everything. We were like, well, I was kind of working Mm -hmm. without it before. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting and heartbreaking. There's nothing worse than when people make assumptions without being educated behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say things have gotten better in terms of understanding for people who are visually impaired that they they can still work? There's just some things that we have to do in order to make it happen. No, unfortunately, I would say it hasn't changed at all. Um, You know, we have, if we look at like unemployment rates within the disability community, it's about... 50% 50% like in the you know disability community as a whole yeah in the blind community it's only 31% of individuals who are employed oh. and it's not because they can't work it's because the stigma still exists today so if you're someone like myself who has a guide dog and you can't hide it even getting the interview is really hard and then if you get the interview and then you tell them at the interview then there's this conversation of like oh well I I can't even I don't, you just you can't do the job. Like I don't know how would you use a computer? How would you use a telephone? <laughs> yeah. Like I've been in interviews where people have asked me questions. Like I've spent more time explaining how I got there and got dressed than my skills in my resume. Mm-hmm. And so there's still just such a stigma around blindness, and I we have so much work to do when yeah. it comes when it comes to that. Like I've I've had many people tell me like if I if I was you if I lost all my vision I'd kill myself. Oh my god. And I'm like. But like, would you though? Right. Like, let's think about that for a minute. Like, 
I still have everything else. Like I don't miss out on life. I just experience it differently. Like right. my life is no less full and amazing than anyone else's life. I just yeah. think that people were such a visual world that people can't fathom how they would live their life without that sense. 1000%. It's almost like they are imagining putting a blindfold on or walking around for a little bit with their eyes closed and they but they still have the option to take the blindfold off or open their eyes so it's hard for them to fully empathize what that's actually like going right. through that yeah uh okay so tell me a little bit about what this looks like for you so like when you open your eyes i've heard that you you can only perceive light is that true like what did, can you describe what that's like for someone to help them understand yeah so i can no longer perceive light anymore so when yep. i could yeah i could like see if there was like a big light source so okay. like if lights were bright enough i could see like a, a like a light but now i can't perceive light at all and but it doesn't mean that it's all dark so right. it's really hard to explain because like i was trying to explain it to somebody one time and i was just like i don't like they're like, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, it's just not there. Sure. So it's not black. I don't see anything. Like, I don't see black. I don't see you know, just, you know, endless darkness. Yep. So I kind of equate it to like, if you're watching the TV, right? And when you're watching a TV, you can see that there's something on the TV and you hear the sound at the same time, yep. right? Yep. So, but if you're listening to the radio, you're not looking, you don't see blackness, yep. right? It's just not there. Like, there's just no video there. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of like that for me. Like, yep. it's just not there. It's it's not black. It's not really anything. It's just not there. That makes sense. So there's, I think, I don't know if this is a misconception or if this is correct. I'm hoping that you can help me here. When you lose one sight, people say, oh, it, it illuminates the rest of your senses. Is that true? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that my, hearing's, my, my hearing or anything is better. Yeah. The difference is, is that you're paying attention to it more now. Sure. Right? So... I pick up things that, you know, other people don't pick up because they're paying attention to everything they can see because your your vision is generally the sense that most people rely on the heaviest. Right. And so for individuals who are blind, we rely on our hearing the most. So we're just paying attention to it more than anything. So I don't think it's any better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that we're more attuned to it. That's so true. It's, I think that's kind of like a misconception too, is that oh, yeah. when you eat something like you like like I can see the taste it's amazing is that true no yeah yeah no not at all like people are always like oh you're like oh what's that like superhero that's blind oh daredevil yeah it's like oh are you like daredevil like no yeah, like, not like daredevil <laughs> like you're not jumping <laughs> off buildings or yeah anything. like you're no like, I'm right. not like fighting people in the like alleys <laughs> like I can sense them coming <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh okay so since you had some sight before did this help because you can kind of like picture things better or did it make it harder because you're like, ah, I was, I was there. I knew what it's like. You kind of know what you're missing out on. No, um, not really. I think for some people it is Mm -hmm. for some people for sure. But because my vision was never clear, um, like I've never had 20, 20 vision. So like my vision's always been really bad. Mm -hmm. So I still have a hard time putting together like a visual of like what that would look like. Right. So like some things I can, um, but for the most part, no. Right. Yeah. True. So what was it like after losing your your vision completely? Help me paint the picture of what that was like to learn about that and build up that courage to like leave the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it was 
a little bit different, I think, again, because because I didn't have great vision. So when I was in school, I learned um, like orientation and mobility skills, so like using a white cane, traveling independently, um, how to cook and you know, do all of those things. I had access to Braille. I had access to a screen reader. So when I lost all of my vision, it was really just picking those skills up and, and actually putting them into practice more more than maybe I would have before rather than like faking it. Right. <laughs> um, so it wasn't easy though, like to leave my house. Like I definitely had to reach out and, and get some more help with, you know, orientation and mobility and, you know, gain my confidence back. Um, especially in the, like my first winter with no vision because winter basically erases everything that an individual who's blind uses for navigation. So true. Um, so I mean that first that first year was really really tough. Yeah. Um. I you know ended up being quite depressed, and I was we lived in Indian Head. It was really isolating. I had you know I didn't have a lot of friends and friends that I thought I had. I a lot of them walked away. Yeah. Um. You know and yeah it was uh, it was definitely a dark a dark time for me. Mm-hmm. So you talked about how winter wipes around or wipes out anything that you utilize to get around. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So winter is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not just because it's cold, right. um, but the snow and ice just erases like everything. So like people don't shovel their sidewalks, for example. And yeah. so now I don't know where the sidewalk is um, versus the road. And when you're a cane, when you use just a cane, um, there's no way to tell. And so it's next to impossible right. to get yourself safely from point A to point B, like crossing streets and, and things like that. And especially in, you know, small rural Saskatchewan, like there was no sidewalks except for Main Street, yep. you know, in Indian Head. So I was like walking in the road and, yep. um, you know, how far have I gone? Like, I don't really know. And so it was really hard to get out um, by myself and, and I really couldn't. And I had three young kids. Yeah. And, you know, taking them and getting them where they needed to go in, in town was really, um, really difficult. Yeah. So it was um, definitely a time that like I made the decision in that first year to, to go and get a guide dog because I couldn't, I wasn't able to function as the parent that I wanted to be. Oh, totally. And if you needed another reason to hate Saskatchewan winter now there it is I, yeah. I um and if you need another reason to shovel your sidewalks different things like that I think oh, uh, it's a yes. good reminder for for us that it's not just oh why why do I have to shovel my sidewalk it's just going to get more snow on there anyway it's it's not just for you it's for other people to get around and people who need to rely on different things in order to get around as well yeah so tell me a little bit more uh, uh, this is so interesting because I think this is humanizing it even further tell me a little bit more about some barriers that you face on a day-to-day basis that we probably wouldn't even think about I think for me it's just you know like everywhere I go so we don't have a lot of braille like signage for example um so like when I get on the bus in the morning it's finding that bus stop well our bus stops in the city are just like a sign pole with like a little square sign on top yeah like trying to figure out is that a bus stop or a stop sign like I don't know right um so you know I have to memorize exactly where my bus stops are and then when I get on the bus you know we have audible announcements on our on our buses Mm -hmm. but some drivers turn them off because they're annoying and so then it's like okay so how far have I gone which stop do I need to get off at 
And then if I get off on that stop, okay, so now I need to like navigate to my office and, you know, crossover. I have to constantly be like remembering how far I've gone and counting, you know, intersections yeah. and, and listening to traffic and uh, individuals that like stop in the crosswalks. Like people drive me nuts. Yeah. Like don't don't stop in the crosswalk. <laughs> or like they'll like go to turn left or right and like they'll block like the corner. Yeah. And I'm like, people. Yeah. Where did you learn to drive? <laughs> like I just don't understand. I, I also ask myself this question on a daily basis. Yeah. So drivers are really bad. Um <laughs> terrible actually. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Um and so and then like when I'm crossing the streets, we have a lot of audible pedestrian signals, like the noise that tells you to cross yep. um, in downtown. But then a lot of times they're broken or there's construction. So then I'm like, okay, so now where do I go? Because it's not just as easy as like turning around and taking a new route because mm-hmm. I'm going to get lost. Yeah. So like it's just, it's always, there's always these barriers. And then when I get into the office, it's, you know, and somebody's sending me materials or documents, and but they're sending them in a format that, you know, I can't read with my screen reader. Right. So then I need to go back and be like, okay, so can you send this in a different format mm-hmm. and, you know, those kinds of things. And so there's just always kind of like these, these barriers that, that are, you know, in front of you. Yeah. But I would say that the one that's the hardest to overcome is people's perceptions of, of what my life or like what I'm capable of. True. I think that's the biggest barrier that I face every single day. For sure. I was watching an interview that you've done um, and just talking about how going to a presentation or an event and there was a buffet table, like things like that, how how hard that is for you because you're like, I don't know what's at the buffet. I don't want to just be sticking my hands into all this sort of stuff. I'm like, that's so true. I never yeah. even would have thought about things like yeah, that. Yeah, buffets are definitely like a blind person's worst nightmare when they're like, <laughs> oh, come for lunch. It's a buffet. You're like, oh, good lord. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> How do you how do you navigate that? Does somebody like dish yeah, up for I you? Yeah, I definitely like, have to get somebody like go through the line with me and like tell me what it is, and I'll tell them if I want some. Yeah. Um. So it's like it's <laughs> awkward. Like I'm not gonna lie, it's really awkward. I don't love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like conferences and things like networking is really dif- difficult. Like if there's a room of like people. Yeah. Like you don't you can hear all these people talking, but like you don't know who they are. What are they talking? Like, can you interrupt? Should you interrupt? Yeah how many people are standing there like I have no idea so like I can't like I can't network basically alone sure. like yeah. it's a complete and utter disaster yeah um so it's really it's really awkward and like you know sometimes I have to like stop people and ask for help and yeah not everybody is helpful yeah. like some people are really ignorant um and just don't understand and they don't want to help and you know oh yeah it's I'd say like networking is overwhelming for for so many people but to like lose sight of your surroundings and have no idea who's speaking where and just just that overwhelm of noise throughout mm-hmm. the room must be so hard mm-hmm. what kind of costs do you have to take on when you lose your sight when we look at like assistive technology so like things for your computer like the screen reader um, a braille display as soon as you associate disability with anything the cost is astronomical mm-hmm. So, um, for example, my Braille display that I can, like, hook up to my phone or my computer or, like, use on its own to, like, read a book or um, read a document on a computer or read something on my phone, um, the cost of it is, like, four to $5,000. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's just 
astronomical for most people. Like, I mean, I don't have an extra five grand just laying around, you know? Um, And, you know, the cost of the software to put on your computer is also, you know, like looking at like two grand, like it's just, it's so expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's, you know, the added costs of, I can't drive myself where I need to go. Mm -hmm. And so if, the bus isn't available and like let's be honest the bus system in regina is questionable <laughs> um on whether you can get where you need to go <laughs> right. and so and i'm like super open with that because like i think i've told everyone who ever has worked at the city of regina how terrible right. uh, it is sure um and so you know like the cost of a cab to get places or you know an uber and like the extra that that costs and then yeah. You know, if my husband's not available, I then have to pay for delivery for groceries and, you know, getting groceries. And there's just always these kind of like extra barriers. Right. So do you think that is like when an employer is talking to someone who's visually impaired or they think all they see is like, one, can they do the job? Two, is this super costly? And am I abil- do I have that ability to afford it? Do you think those are the two things that run through their mind a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, we have a, we have programs, we have funding within the province of Saskatchewan yep. to assist with that. So, you know, it, for individuals who are working age, they can have access to those um, things at no cost to them. Yeah. So the cost of the employer is actually, you know, pretty minimal, if anything. Right. And so... Um, it's definitely a myth that it's going to cost thousands of dollars to, you know, have someone work with them. A lot of the questions I get actually aren't even around technology. They're like, well, how would you use a telephone? And I'm like, well, (laughs) I mean, I know the number sequence. Like I know like it goes one, two, three, four, five, six. And then, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, what if you were to fall down the stairs? I'm like, well, what if someone (laughs) sighted was to fall down the stairs? Right? Oh my god, these are like, actual questions. Oh yeah, you get, hey? all the oh time. My. Yeah, and like you know, I say to people like, I live with this every single day. Like it's my it's my normal. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not. I got here. Like I'm not gonna <laughs> fall down the stairs. Yeah. Right. Like I got here. I got dressed all by myself. Yeah. Like, I I'm an adult. Um, I know I have all ten fingers. I've chopped them off yet. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I can navigate the office. Oh yeah, that's it's. I'm I'm feeling frustrated through this interview like like it feels like I just want to like jump in the ring with you and and help oh, yeah. yeah because you can see some ignorance and and you can put together the, the I think the most frustrating part is you can put together the thought process as to why people are saying these things but they don't just don't go that one step further to empathize or ask authentically about it yeah and like I always try like you know I think education is key. I don't think people are malicious and, you know, don't do it intentionally. And so my end goal is to always educate. But, you know, if I was to say that I'm always uh, super nice uh, (laughs) and and willing to educate, uh, I'd be lying. Right. Right. Because you might be the 15th or 16th person that day that I've had to educate about something or who has made some ridiculous comment. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, you you don't get the nice educational side of it, right? You get the snarky side. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, like, the worst one for me is the most frustrating one is when people tell me that I don't look blind. So just don't understand what they think. Like, so are they thinking I should be, like, 
60-year-old white man with glasses sitting in a rocking chair looking to a, listening to a radio? <laughs> like, is that what they assume right. is blind? Like, I don't understand what that is. Yeah. And so I have come up with my rebuttal to this, but it's not the educational rebuttal that yeah. I should use. And it, <laughs> and I've used it a few times, so I'm apologizing to anybody who has uh, been on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they'll just say, like, well, I had no idea. Like, you don't look blind. And I said, well, you don't didn't look stupid until you opened your mouth. Yeah. Like, same thing, right? Yeah. Like, let's have some thought process there. Right? Like, put it together here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I get the same thing a little bit. I'm part of the 2SLGBTQ plus community. And you get that whole, like, well, you don't come off as gay. And yeah, I'm like, like because I'm not that? walking around with limp wrists saying, like, yes, queen. Like, yeah, like, what does that even look like, yeah, right? I like, think it just shows a frame of reference. Like, it's not there. There's not enough representation. There's They don't know directly know somebody to be able to understand a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. And, you know, we don't see blind individuals in every workplace. We don't see them, you know, in, in careers. And, and so because we don't see people out and about living their lives or they haven't you know come in contact with someone who's blind they just have this odd perception of what blindness is totally blindness is a spectrum like if you had 10 people in a room i would be the one that had the worst vision like right there would only be one of me most people see something Mm -hmm. you know whether that's you know color shape light shadow something 90 percent of people who are blind see something it's a spectrum yeah yeah totally Okay, let's pause there for a minute. Ashley has chatted about how her former employer wasn't too accommodating when she needed the most. Something that a lot of people end up relying on is disability insurance, but there isn't a lot of understanding of how and when you can utilize it. One of our HR advisors, Natasha Hudy, is on the line, and she's going to help us break down how your workplace can support you with disability insurance. Take it away, Natasha. Thanks, Mason. Group benefits are health insurance plans provided by your employer designed to reduce the overall cost of benefits by spreading the cost and risk across multiple group members. Plan costs are generally split between the employer and employee, and coverage is provided to employees, their families, and their dependents. Most group benefit plans cover the same thing at a high level, but the specifics of the coverage differ. You can generally expect to have life insurance, accidental death, disease and dismemberment and critical illness coverage, extended health, vision and dental insurance, access to an employee family assistance program, and short and long-term disability coverage. Short-term disability provides employees who are required to be away from the workplace due to illness or injury with a percentage of their regular income for the duration of time away. Usually absences that last longer than one year cross over to long-term disability, which provides the same coverage up until the individual recovers, retires, or reaches a pre-specified age, whichever comes first. It is important for employees to be aware of what coverage their employer provides. I encourage everyone listening to review what your employer offers and determine whether it makes sense to seek additional coverage beyond what's provided. Hey, thanks, Natasha. I've seen firsthand numerous amount of times of how disability insurance has saved the day for loved ones who have needed to take both mental and physical time away from work. Make sure to check in with your workplace to understand what your employer offers for disability insurance and how to make sure you're covered. Now let's get back to our interview with Ashley. Tell me about meeting your husband and what impact has he had on your journey? Yeah, I, you know, you're, it's funny because uh, people are always, again, shocked that I have a husband. Yeah. They're like, oh, 
that's so amazing that you have a husband. And I'm like, oh, yes, he's just, you know. He's God. He's, yeah. he's godly for, yeah. you know, taking on the blind girl. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. But actually, I met my husband when I was 14. Sure. Um, he had family in uh, Indian Head and would come down every weekend to, like, hang out with his cousins. And so we've been friends since we so, since I was 14. Um, and he knew that I was visually impaired back then. Yeah. And so when I was 19, we I had ended a relationship and he we got back in touch after, you know, a couple of years and um, just started hanging out. And and it was nice because I didn't have to pretend that I was sighted like he knew. And so there was no hiding it. And he didn't he just didn't care and treat me any differently Mm -hmm. than anyone else did. And so after a year, we were engaged and married and. You know, now have have three have three children, and yeah. um, he often will get really odd questions um, as well. And people are like, "Oh, you know, that's so great of you." And yeah. he's like, "Yeah, could you tell my wife that? Yeah. <laughs> like, that she doesn't <laughs> feel the same way." Totally. <laughs> it's so funny, and like you can see people like you're doing God's work or something, yes. as if you literally just sit there like a potato, just waiting for him to move you or something. Oh yeah, like, like, like people often ask, "Oh, like do you like have to pick out her clothes or like?" do her makeup and I'm like no yeah like I would leave the house looking like all sorts of a mess yeah if my husband <laughs> picked out my clothes and did my makeup yeah like little did they know like I'm the one that does the cooking in the house yeah. I'm the one who you know does the majority of the cleaning like I do all of the things that any other wife would do yeah and make him help not because I'm blind but because he lives there too exactly yeah exactly <laughs> oh that's awesome and tell me about being a mom of three what's that been like for you uh, I, that's been a challenge. Uh, it's nothing to do with me being blind. <laughs> um, so, you know, like when they were little, like there was always the like, you need to stay close by. And like, I always had this fear that I was going to lose one of them. Sure. So, you know, like I used to like dress them in like neon colors when we'd go to the park so I could see them sure. or like, we always had this rule. Like if I call you, you have to check in. Yeah. If you don't check in, we're leaving. Sure. Like, so our kids had a few extra like rules because I couldn't see. Yeah. Um, but I have also made it a huge point to make sure that my kids were not my helpers, yeah. right? Like they didn't feel like they needed to help me navigate anywhere. They didn't need to be my eyes, mm-hmm. right? Not that they don't help out because they naturally do. Um, but I wanted to make sure that they feel like that was their job. Yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, yeah, my kids don't know any different. Like they don't know me any other way. Totally. They actually, none of my kids remember when I could see a little bit. Right. Right. So my kids are older. My kids are now, they're 15, 16 and 19. So people are like, (laughs) when I had three under five, I was like, oh, people are like, oh, your hands are full. And I'm like, now that my kids are like teenagers, I'm like, nobody. Yeah prepared me for having three teenagers sure like i would take three newborns over three teenagers right 100%. now because <laughs> those newborns listen to you a little they bit. do yeah. right like i can dress them in whatever i want put them where they stay there they listen there's no talking back there's yeah. no mess making. <laughs> it's funny because i don't have kids but i have friends who have kids and every friend i talk to no matter what age the kids are they all say well, this must be the hardest age 
like this must be yes two kids at seven and eight it's i am at the climax of parenting at the moment yeah yeah i don't feel like you're ever there yeah i feel like i've not hit that yet i'm hoping that it's like when they move out 100 percent. yeah yeah and then there will be a whole new a whole new whole new thing so i think yeah it's interesting i think people think that there's a lot of challenges with being a parent or that i shouldn't be a parent i mean that's been questioned really um yeah but i mean there's no real difference right yeah. like i can be a parent i mean do my kids get away with you know things that maybe they wouldn't have <laughs> yeah. if i you know could see probably right um 100 like their kids are going to take advantage right yeah like i know they do yeah but if you're <laughs> checking in with them more but yeah like we just we have a like an open relationship and my kids naturally do it yeah. like they naturally like help out like when they bring stuff home or like they get me a card for like mother's day for example like my this mother's day like my kids put together like this little basket with like all these like nice things like the candle and some chocolates and a blanket and they wrote me a card and they sit they sat there and like they read me the card and described what it looked like and told me like the colors of the of the blanket and the candle and like they just naturally but it it just happens naturally in our house right Right. it's not weird yeah like people are like well that's kind of awkward yeah it's not weird though because it it just naturally happens or like when my kids are like oh mom look over there or look at that but then that is followed by what what they're talking about yeah so that's beautiful tell me a little bit about i think a lot of people would want to understand the 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 line between giving you your independence but also needing to provide you with like what's over there or anything like that so mm-hmm. how can people best support you in describing your surroundings and and what's in front of you different things like that without it almost becoming like we're impeding on your independence mm-hmm. yeah i think just asking like how can i help you and it depends on the situation on what i'm gonna need right so if i'm in a crowded conference for example I might need to like take your arm or have you, you know, tell me like there's, you know, how, how the tables are laid out or, you know, how the room looks or if there's something interesting. Like I always welcome, you know, that visual information. Um, But I think the biggest thing is just to ask, like, how can I support you? Right. Or do you need help? Right. And if I say no, I mean, no. Yeah. Right. Like respecting that. True. Cause you know, I might look lost to someone else. Yeah. uh, But generally I'm, Probably not. I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, yep. if I need help, I'll ask. Um, and so, for the most part, you know, unless I'm somewhere where it's a very visual thing. So, if I'm, you know, if I'm in like a museum, like I want a lot of information. Right. If we're, you know, walking through um, an office building, like give me the pertinent information, but like, I don't need to know what color the walls are and what color the carpet is. And that's Susan. She's wearing a floral pattern today. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't describe what everybody's (laughs) wearing. Like it's weird. True. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. If it feels weird for you, it's weird for me. True. Yeah. (laughs) What's interesting is that in each of these episodes of the podcast, it's, it all boils down to one thing is it's just asking how I can support or how can I help you? And whether that is like Kayla Kozan was just on the podcast and she just um, a couple of years ago had a nervous breakdown and she's like, people don't know how to ask me questions about it. All you need to do is ask me like, like, what was it like? Come from an authentic place of support. That's all it comes down to is like, oh, it really does. Rem- yeah. Remove that space in the room where you feel awkward, where you're afraid to say the wrong thing and just start with how can I help you? Yeah. Or like, just say hi. Like, so I will be at like an event, for example. And if I'm there alone, 
I will spend a lot of time just standing by myself yeah. and people, there'll be hundreds of people. I was recently at a women's event this year um, here in Regina and there was hundreds of people there. Yeah. And I stood there and like nobody would come and like say hello or like introduce themselves or anything like just come over and say hello. Like yeah. people are always like, well, I like, how would I approach someone who's blind? Well, how would you approach anyone? <laughs> right. Yeah. Just say like, Hey, I'm Sally. Yeah. You know, if I don't know who Sally, if I don't know you, like I'm Sally, I work at, or this is, you know, give me some reference. Yeah. If I do know you and under, I don't, I don't remember everybody's voice. Like there's, that's yeah. impossible. True. Like, unless you're my close family or somebody I talk to on a daily basis, I'm not going to know who you are outside of context, right? Yeah. If I always see you in the office and I see you at Costco, I'm not going to be able to. True. Like, there needs to be some context there. <laughs> yeah. So, like, be like, hey, it's Sally from, like, Connexus, right? Yeah. Like, just give me some context, but, like, just come and say hello. Right. Like, I don't bite. It's not awkward. Like, you're not going to offend me. Yeah. Like, I think people are just so worried about offending others. Just be a decent human being. Like, 100%. just be a kind, decent human being. Treat people how you want to be treated. Do you think people are afraid to say hi because you don't look like in their eyes a blind person? So they're like, they're just like, is she blind? Is she not blind? Like, why do you think people feel awkward about saying hi? Yeah, I think it's because they don't. Yeah, I think a lot because they don't look blind. Yeah. Then they're not sure. And I think they, you know, don't want to say the wrong thing or offend me or upset me or you know something like that yeah i think that's generally like why or like how blind are you like they're afraid of doing something that you're like well i can't see that or something yeah Yeah, i think so i think yeah yeah, i think it comes from a place of fear and like a place of not understanding and and generally people if we don't understand um you know we it's easier to just avoid yeah right and rather than like confront those things whereas like you know, I think just, just say hello. Yeah. It's as if you like, if you were to put on like sunglasses that Stevie Wonder wears or something, somebody would be like, oh, I know how to handle this situation because yeah. I can assume things a little bit more. Yeah. Let's talk about your guide dog because mm-hmm. outside of the obvious, your, how does your guide dog support you? Because I think it's so cool to watch in action. Yeah. So he is, he is my eyes. His, his job essentially is to keep me traveling in a from point a to point b in a straight line um you know stop at obstacles take me around obstacles help me to navigate uh for example like when we came in the office you know i told him to find the door when we got to the address like i was using um uh, maps on my phone yeah when i got to the address i was like okay find the door so then he went and found the front door took us in the door and then when we got in the door um you had said that you'd meet me at the stairs. So I said, dance and find the stairs. And so he found stairs. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't know if there's more than one. We'll just go with this as the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I was like, well, I don't want to stand here like a dummy. Yeah. So I was like, let's see if there's a chair. So then yeah. I just, you know, dance and find a chair. And so he took me to an empty chair. Yeah. And so we were just kind of hanging out. And so through those commands, he's able to find things that I wouldn't be able to find as easily with a cane. Yeah. So he finds like doors chairs stairs um he can find counters in a in a store or office or something like that he finds garbage cans because you need garbage cans when you have a dog oh, yeah. often right yes, you know, yeah. dispose of the doggy stuff somewhere <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. um he can find he can find he'll help find like people who i know quite well and who we see often so he can really? find like my husband and my children by name in a store like in walmart i'll be like find dad and he will 
walk aisle by aisle to find my husband. That is so cool. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, and he'll like he can find like I travel quite often uh, with a coworker, and so he can find her. And uh, his his most favorite task of mine is he can find a Starbucks. Um, oh my gosh! He's really? So good at finding Starbucks. <laughs> So good. So good. That's a bit. So you say find Starbucks and he will take yeah. you to a Starbucks. Like if I know I'm like in the vicinity. Yeah. Right. Like in a new city or something like that. I'll be like, let's go to Starbucks. <laughs> and he like is right there. And I don't know how he does it. Like I. So typically they generalize. Yeah. Right. So like I would show him a garbage can and teach him to find one garbage can. Yeah. Right. And then eventually over time I can just say garbage can and he will find something similar right like they generalize oh so i don't know how he's done this with starbucks if it's the logo or the smell or what it is but i am perfectly okay with it i love every time he finds me a starbucks successfully he can find bathrooms and like things like that so like that's the biggest that's like the biggest thing for me is that like he can find the things that i would need help i would have to ask for help yeah to find those things with a cane yeah right so i need a lot more help with a cane than i do with a dog he's he just really increases my independence tenfold. Honestly. Right. And so, and then if I'm traveling outside and I'm walking down a sidewalk and I go to cross the street, the biggest thing for him is that when I say forward, he will check if there's like a car coming that's going to turn left or turn right or yep. whatever, like on a right, is it right on red. Yeah. So then if I don't hear that car coming, like say it's like a hybrid car because yep. they don't make any noise when they're going slow. Sure. He... He won't let me go. Yeah. Right. If I say forward and it's not safe, he won't go. Okay. And so those types of things like really like make me feel more confident to be able to navigate the city and and my life. Yeah. Because I know that he's there. Right. And there's also a companionship portion of it too. Right. Like I feel more confident. I feel like a whole person with a dog when i was a cane user it was like there was something missing yeah and i didn't i don't think i ever knew it was a dog right Right. like i'd considered getting a dog many times but when i got my first guide dog it was it it was like the missing piece Mm. of the puzzle yeah and so the independence that they allow me to have is is just like amazing it's like night and day yeah and in turn with that independence comes a better sense of happiness and like you just feel complete compared to feeling like you're always anxious about your surroundings. Things like yeah. That. Oh yeah. Big time. And I'm, I just looked down here. Danson is just having a nap here waiting for you to be done. Yeah. Like he's a professional napper. Is yeah. he? <laughs> I, honestly, he's like, Oh, there's nothing else to do. Right. hundred yeah, percent. So when, is there ever a time where, um, you need to move forward and, and Danson doesn't want to, or like, do you have to, is there anything that you like almost like, like a force a command or any any situations like that um i mean there are dogs at the end of the day so he definitely has days where like he's like i'm really just not feeling it today (laughs) and so like he'll walk really slow or like he'll stop to eat the grass or you know like he's just like like i'm over it it's like me on wednesdays yeah Yeah. like he definitely has those (laughs) has those days so you know i just have to be kind of aware like okay we're having a day. Yeah. So maybe we're not going to walk. We're like going to Uber it <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like, um, and sometimes I, you know, we'll leave him at home and give him a break, Yeah. you know, too. And like, just go with my husband or, you know, something like that. But yeah, yeah he definitely has days where he's like, 
No, thank you. <laughs> I really relate to dads and like I it do is too, like right? there's days where you wake up, you don't have the best sleep, you're walking past the the lunchroom, there's donuts there. I'm just gonna stop and eat a donut instead of going to my meeting right away. Yeah, yeah. like the other day we were like I was telling you earlier, we were working uh, throughout the weekend and we were traveling. So we were staying in Saskatoon and we had driven to PA, done like an event all day, drove back to Saskatoon and like it had been a long day. Yeah. And like he was in harness all day working for like 12 hours and he was just done (laughs) and so we get back to the hotel and I like let him rest for like an hour and then I was going to meet with my coworker, and we were going to go grab some dinner and I was like dancing let's go like we're gonna go for a car ride and he just laid there and my like just yawned at me and I was like no like we have to go are you serious and he was just like no he would not get up so finally I like had to go over like where he was laying down put his harness on and be like let's go yeah <laughs> and yeah he was just like i had to take my coworker's arm because like he was just like no he's like you want to go out so bad you figure it out yeah he's uh, like yeah i guess i'll come if i have to but i'm not doing it oh that's awesome um i read a point of view piece that you wrote for cbc about your previous guide dog rick and that huge impact that a seemingly small encounter with a cyclist had on you and rick and your independence tell me a little bit about that Yeah, so my first guide dog, Rick, was a life-changing, like, when I got Rick, it really was life-changing. Like I said, like, it it was, like, a part of me. It was, like, I felt whole again, and I found all of my confidence, like, my career really kicked off, and I just, like, found myself and my confidence. And so we were walking downtown. I was with my daughter, and a cyclist tried to go between Rick and the wall and ran over his paw. And so in the moment, the person was like, oh, I'm sorry, and just kept riding on. Right. Unfortunately, that incident made it that Rick could no longer work. So we worked with trainers to try to get him back to work. Uh, But he was just too nervous. Like he was always looking over his shoulder at any noise or anything like that. So he had to retire early. And I was left without a guide dog. And so... At that time, I was, you know, I was working and I was traveling for work into Toronto and, um, you know, within Saskatchewan and stuff like that. And it was like my independence, my confidence, you know, my self-esteem, everything was just like ripped from me. And um, it was a really, really tough time. I was really angry um, at that person. Like I held a lot of anger. I had a lot of like anxiety and fear and things like that. And I was without a guide dog for about eight months. Mm. Um, and luckily I was able to get a dog before the winter, but like, that was my biggest fear was like, how am I going to continue to work and get to work without my dog in these in Regina where people don't shovel their sidewalks? Mm -hmm. Like how am I, like, I just don't know how this is even going to work. And so I was able to get, I got dancing in November of that year um and we came home and three days later it snowed and I've never been so excited to have a dog uh by my side again but yeah and it was really it was really hard because I had to mourn that loss of Rick as my guide dog Mm -hmm. he um I wasn't able to keep Rick um because I travel a lot for work and there's nobody at home and that's just not fair for him to go from leaving the house with me every single day yeah being with me 24 7 to all of a sudden he's just at home for like 12 plus hours a day by himself right that's just not fair so he went back to live with his puppy raisers Aww. um in utah and 
that was the hardest goodbye that I have oh. ever had to had to do. And yeah. um, it was like I yeah, it's like I lost a piece of a piece of myself. And yeah. it was a really hard, a really hard transition for me, for sure. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's had a pet can empathize with how how heartbreaking that is. But it's leveled up a little bit like oh yeah you, he was your independence he like you relied on him in such like a like foundational way for you so that must have been completely heartbreaking yeah because i'm guessing but basically what happened when his paw was run over then he was afraid right like mm-hmm. he was more hesitant and you can't have that right like no. you you need to be able to like being assertive and and any any if a dog is afraid it can't really work in the way that you need it to yeah no he couldn't keep me safe anymore because he was too worried about what was going on around him yeah and so i couldn't trust him and i needed to be able to trust him no oh. and so it uh it was hard but then i also had to learn to trust a new dog which yeah. is you know a whole new a whole new thing so, so are there differences between danson and rick in oh, some yeah. ways yeah they're polar opposites really rick was very like he was like an old soul, just <laughs> go with the flow, um, you know, wasn't really phased by a whole lot, like just kind of went with it. Yeah. Dancing is a little bit sassy. Okay. Um, definitely a little bit of a princess. <laughs> um, he's Yeah, he's got an attitude. He likes to think he's in charge, sure. not me. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, like when we were walking here, he thought we should be going to the Naked Beans. So like when I told him to turn on college, he was like, no, like we're going straight. And I was yeah, like, we're no, not going to Naked Beans. No, you Bean. like coffee. You yeah. want coffee. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I was like, no, we're like, we're going this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We've talked about like a lot of the barriers around losing your sight and, and being visually impaired. This, I don't know if this is a question that you get a lot, but is there any gifts or like changes in perspectives that you wouldn't have learned otherwise if you hadn't lost your sight yeah I think for me when I lost my sight like I really learned to like just love myself and like trust myself and be confident in who I am Mm -hmm. not to say that I'm you know always super confident because I mean that would be a lie if I said that right um but yeah I definitely think um changed my perspective on just on myself but it also allowed me to really look at the relationships that I had in my life so um I had people who I you know thought were my friends yeah uh thought you know were important people in my life and when I lost all my vision and they walked away it really showed me you know who was important and who was going to stick by me Mm -hmm. and how important those relationships were um and I think being blind really allows me to get to know people on on a deeper level, I can't judge someone by what they look like when they walk up to me. So I really have to judge them on their character and how they, um, you know, how they present themselves to me. And so I think it's nice to know that I don't have that initial judgment when someone walks up. Right. Yeah. And I can take the time to get to know them for who they are, not, you know, what they're wearing or what they look like or anything like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, it's almost like you, by being blind, you you miss the surface level judgments and the you'll miscategorize people just based off of what they're wearing that day. And you can like you can see their true selves without having to like navigate past those um, stereotypes, things like that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's awesome. So I read that adults with vision loss are ninety percent more likely to suffer from depression 
so you talked about how when you initially lost your your sight for three weeks, you had that that big hit of depression and and winters are so tough. What impact has this had on your mental health and how have you been able to navigate it? Yeah, I think vision loss has had a lot of effect on my mental health right from when I was young and even today. Um, Depending on what I have going on, you know, constantly fighting for things that people take for granted. Um, So like having access to, to public places, like I've been kicked out of you know, restaurants and things like that because I have a dog or I'm not Mm. welcome in, you know, a cab or, um, you know, always facing these barriers can really affect someone's mental health. Yeah. Um, it, it becomes very hard to navigate. People have a lot of anxiety because of it. I know I have, um, and then, you know, winters can be really isolating. Uh, so it definitely is something that I always have to be really mindful of and that I really have to continue to, to work on and do things that, that make my mental health good. And like, I have to really, really try hard because, um, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of barriers and it it can get really, sometimes it it is almost easier to just be like, well, I just, I give up. Right. Like it's easier to be angry and negative and and complain all the time it's a heck of a lot easier than trying to be positive and educate right and so you have to i have to like be conscious of that for sure yeah absolutely so we've talked about like where things have been what things are currently like for you i would love to know what's next for ashley it's always changing i think you know i am take i've taken on a new role at work and i'm really passionate about my work and so um you know, that, that's a big part for me. And right now I'm trying to decide, do I continue on with my blog? Do I not? What does that look like? So I don't have any like hard and fast plans, but, uh, you know, I'm always looking to the next thing. And so I don't think, um, you know, I will disappear. (laughs) I will always continue (laughs) to like be a vocal advocate and, um, you know, try my best to educate people and really change the perceptions that people have. Yeah. Um, and show them how I can you know, live my life and what that looks like. Awesome. I'm glad you brought up your blog. Tell me about Blind Moving On and, and kind of what sparked it. Yeah, so my blog was actually started when I lost all of my vision. I was just frustrated yeah. and needed somewhere to like get it out. And I was like, oh, I'll start a blog. That sounds fun. <laughs> um, and I was like, no one's going to read it. Like, And then people started reading and I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> now what? <laughs> they, they found me. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, then I just kind of started, but it really started out of a place of frustration because yeah. of, because of like the stigma that I just kept facing every single day. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted people to know like how ridiculous, <laughs> you know, some of these things, some of these things were, and yeah. I just needed to share. And so that's really where it started from. And it just grew from there. And so grew into that. And then, you know, pretty active like social media presence and like YouTube channel and doing media and different things. And so I've had some amazing opportunities from it. And um, it's not really about the views for me. It's just about education and helping people to understand better. Totally. And it does such a great job. And we've seen it in this interview, like you're blunt, but you're funny. Like you bring that like kind of sass to it where you, it, it, it's hard hitting in some ways, but in, in ways that, um, it helps educate while also like it's enjoyable, like it's entertaining. So you yeah. should definitely check it out. Blind moving on. 
Um, and tell me about the name a little bit. It's kind of like, like, yeah, been diagnosed, I'm blind. Moving on. This is my life now. Yeah. So everybody was really focused on the fact that I was blind. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm blind. Like, let's move on. Mm-hmm. And so it really just like grew from that. Like I was like, yep. Yep. Continue next, on yeah. next. What are we like? What's going on next kind yeah. of thing. So, um, yeah. And I, you know, I try to be a really honest and open and transparent, um, in my, in my blog and in everything that I do. Um, but I'm also not super serious about it either. Sure. Like I love a good blind joke, like the next person, yeah. you know, like I just, yeah, you just can't take life so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. What was it like? Cause when you're, when you're writing this, you're writing on behalf of, of Ashley, but also like, you must feel like you're, you're saying some things that a lot of people would want to say as well if they're visually impaired. So what has it like to connect with people who are going through shared experiences with you? Yeah, that's a huge part of why I kept going. I had people, you know, who were just new to vision loss Mm -hmm. um, reaching out and saying, you know, I'm so happy I found your blog and I never thought these things were possible or I, you know, have a blind child and, you know, I really worried what their life would look like and if they would be able to have a full life. And, you know, I came across your blog and, and found all of the things that you're doing and it's amazing. And so that's really what kept like keeps me going and 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 writing is because of because of those people sure um but it's also great because i have people who aren't from the blind community who reach me out and they're like oh like i never really thought about it right yeah. like i just didn't think about it mm-hmm. i wasn't exposed to it or i didn't think about it and so it helps them to kind of start that conversation honestly like when i was researching you for this interview there were a couple like interviews and in your blog I'm, i just i was like oh i didn't think about that that's and that I don't think necessarily makes me an ignorant person, but it just, it helps build that toolbox of being able to walk in somebody's shoes a little bit more so you can empathize with them a little bit more and have more conversations about it. So it's just such a great blog. It's ways that you can equip yourself without feeling like you're being intrusive or asking questions that you're afraid to ask. Like, I think it's just, it's just such a great way to educate yourself. So definitely check that out. A couple of questions to wrap up this interview. Um, we've had such great conversation. You have such great perspective. So if someone is listening who is feeling alone or isolated or, or just struggling with their mental health due to their journey with sight, what would you offer them? Um, that's a big, that's a, a big one. That's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> um, I would say to reach out to people, reach out to, you know, organizations that can support you, but find find your purpose and and know that you know it will get better there is light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. and um when you embrace your your vision loss and you gain the skills and the confidence to live your life your life will be you know can be whatever you want it to be yeah love that last question before we jump into some speed round questions so if you could go back in time and say anything to ashley right before you went through those three weeks of losing your, your full sight, what would you tell her? I would probably just say like, you've got this yeah. um, or you can do it. I think that I didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, before that. And so it's, it was interesting to see how I found my confidence when I lost all of my vision, which really wasn't what I was expecting. So I think, yeah, I would just go back and like tell myself like, you've got this, you can do it. Yeah. You're resilient. You can push through this. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. So before we let you go, 
going to hit you with some speed round questions okay. and a way to connect with you in a different way. Um, don't be afraid. These are, these are fun. Uh, first question, a song that you never get sick of. I have no idea. You have no idea. <laughs> are you I'm the- terrible with names of music. Okay. But like I'm a country bumpkin. Aria. So most country songs, like I can listen to that stuff all day. Sure. Are you like a Shania girl? Are like you like a, new school country? Like a, like a Tim McGraw. Okay. Like, old school kind of country like you like dust on the bottle song yes yeah love it okay love it right on have you ever gone to craven no there's too many drunk people there for me (laughs) (laughs) your dog would be like where am i i am on a different planet yeah i don't have a level of patience for that (laughs) that amount of drunkenness (laughs) oh that's so true um your guilty pleasure snack peanut butter and chocolate oh yeah anything classic Yeah. yeah so your reese's oh yeah yeah love it awesome um, something you've learned from being a mom to three teenagers. It never gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> Your facial expression was like serious. Like yeah, I, I mean, never this. gets easier. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like the flip side of what you said at the end of of oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You're like, no, you're you're yeah. here forever. <laughs> yeah. Vision loss. You're gonna overcome that. Parenting, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, your favorite tip about money. If you don't have it don't spend it amen okay next question if you could have sight back for one minute how would you spend it looking at my children's faces yeah yeah for sure and my husband i mean <laughs> him too <He's> second <laughs> <place>. <laughs> <laughs> i had a feeling it would be awesome that so that's awesome um something you discovered about yourself during this two years of covid madness i hate working at home <laughs> like despise it like, i always thought i would love to work at home no no i don't really yeah what is it about working at home that like really grinds your gears She's like you're always in your damn house yeah like i no totally i can't do it yeah i think we've all had it's funny you have some people that are just like i am never going back to work this is my new habitat i love it yeah, no. i'm the same i'm just like okay i need some time away from my cat a little bit i need to kind of experience human interaction without feeling like i'm going crazy yeah okay last question what connects us? I think like kindness and compassion. Like I think we all, we all want to be, you know, kind, compassionate people or want people to be kind and compassionate to us. So I think, you know, I think we all at the end of the day want to be treated decently. Yeah. Well, you know, we all just want to be treated nice, you know, have people be kind to us. And I think that really you know brings people together. Yeah. It's so true. And it's actually a thing of a theme of this episode is that we all want to be kind and compassionate to others. But when it actually comes time to just ask how I can support you, saying hi, just removing that like, oh, I kind of feel awkward about this and just putting other people first for a second there. I think that's what separates the people that are are really wanting to be kind and compassionate and the other ones that are a little bit self-serving in some areas. Yeah. It's like, comes back to like that thing. Like we were told, like when we were in kindergarten, right? Like treat others how you would like to be treated. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's the golden rule for a reason. It really right? is. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Ashley, thank you so much. I have learned so much and I don't want to say I came in ignorant, but just your perspective and the way that you just humanize like your experience and I just appreciate like the bluntness and how it 
you I feel like I leave this I'm like well yeah that that makes a lot more sense now like even shoveling my sidewalk to make sure that that is clear um, but also just having a little bit more kindness and empathy and not being afraid just to ask hey how can I support you how can I help you out even if it is somebody outside of the visually impaired community anybody that is looks like they are a little bit um anxious in the moment or just needing to look for help or anything like that if you just are in that position to be able to help somebody on that moment go for it it's i think it'll just help other people out so much thank you so much this has been such a great interview yeah thank you so much for for inviting me to be on absolutely well that's it for a chat with ashley and for this episode of the what connects us podcast we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode but if you've taken value from this conversation please do us a favor hit that subscribe or follow button leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and share the podcast with a friend or on social media it makes a big difference for us and helps us continue to tell these stories in saskatchewan thanks for listening we'll see you in two weeks let's connect then